So anyway, awesome text today. We're going to do it a little different in that um, we're going to go through it verse by verse together and, and expose it as we're going. But I want to do a quick review. Uh, you know, last week we looked at Apollos and uh, Apollos was a guy who exemplified the gaps that happened as the gospel went westward. In other words, the gospel goes out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And what happens is you have uh, the apostle Paul, you have Peter, you have the apostle, the other 11 apostles that followed Jesus. They got direct revelation from God. I mean, Jesus taught the, uh, the 12 apostles and even Paul himself had direct revelation from Jesus and God. But that starts to go away. And what you have is people like Apollos and others who learn from people, the apostles maybe, or from others, and they learn through study of the scripture. And the instruction word last week when it talked about Apollo was the word we get catechism from or catechize. For you guys who come from uh, traditions that use catechism, it's repetition. It's teaching through memory and asking and going over the same things over and over. And so as that happened, there were gaps in the information. It, it, you guys remember the old telephone game? This guy tells this guy tells this guy. Well, after you get about 10 to 15 people down the, wo- the row, what happens is parts get left out or parts get changed just a little bit. And so you can imagine what would happen. This is about 30-something years after Jesus died. And so, in fact, Acts 1 through 8 is about, I think, uh, I think it's 30, about 30, 35 years for Acts 1, Pentecost there, to Acts 28. And so uh, what we see this week is... Paul going back now on his third missionary journey, which isn't really a journey at all. He goes into one area for three years. He goes to the city of Ephesus. And, you know, Ephesus was one of the four great cities during this time period. Like right now, if you thought of four of the greatest cities in the world, New York would be one of them, right? I mean, it would. I mean, as bad as we don't like some of the things about New York, as far as the melting pot where people come, if they come to America, they want to go to New York City. Where's another one? Hong Kong. Hong Kong? Yeah, Hong Kong is another big city. L.A. on the West Coast. Hollywood. But Rome. What about Rome? You know, still to this day, Rome is a very, very important city. Uh, as far as you know, overall. Well, back in this day, the four big cities were Corinth, Rome, uh, Ephesus, and Alexandria. And so Ephesus was one of the major cities. It was on the east or the western seaboard of Turkey. It was kind of like to the, the Asian world what New York City is to America. Like it just, it, everybody goes through there. And so um, it ha- had the temple of Artemis or Diana, which was one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. And, and what happened is a meteorite fell from the sky and they built this temple around this and said it was from Diana. And so Ephesus was known for Diana. And one other thing, they were known for magic. They had people there that would pronounce 
curses or blessings on people using incantations. They wore special type of clothing. They would repeat phrases, and it was like secret magic. In other words, they couldn't reveal, you know, stuff about it or it would lose its magic. So it was kind of secret. It was witchcraft is what it was. And so, uh, and on this journey, Paul, remember, as he left last time going back to uh, Antioch, going back to Jerusalem, remember, he went through Ephesus and he taught and they said, wait, stay, stay, please stay. And he goes, no, I got to go. But he said, I'll come back. What? If the Lord wills, the Lord wills, he went back and he goes back and he stays for three years. Think about that. For Paul, his, his whole ministry had been itinerant. Now he's there for three years. Why? Because there were gaps there that needed to be filled in. And he wanted to teach. He was one of the last apostles. So he wanted to teach and get the truth out. Good doctrine. It's really important to have that good doctrine. And so a lot like today, we have a lot of gaps in our churches today. There's a lot of people that have pieces of the puzzle about Jesus, but they don't see the big picture. And so that's why his third journey is so important that he goes back there. And then Apollos is raised up. Apollos goes to Corinth and has such an effective ministry there that over in uh, Corinthians, when Paul writes them, he says, listen, why are you guys divided? Some of you say you're a Paul. Some of you say you're of Apollos. So basically, Apollos is put on the same level as Paul, as far as influence. Now think about that. What happened last week? Priscilla and Aquila had to pull them aside and said, hey man, you, you ain't getting all this. You got, you got to, you're leaving some very important stuff out. The cross, the, the crucifixion, the, the ascension, you know, the Holy Spirit. You, you know, you, you got to teach them about that too. He didn't know about that. So... Paul's ministry is winding down. New people coming in, they have gaps. And, and today, we are the gap fillers. And we have God's word. We're not apostles in a big A sense, directly commissioned by God, but we are apostles commissioned by God with his word to go represent his word, to preach and teach his word. So today, as we look at 18, 1 through 20, or 19, 1 through 20, I want to show you that God reveals through Paul, there's one, two types of faith. There's not a lot of types of faith. There's two types of faith. There's Jesus and everything else. You can lump everything else into one category. There's really, <coughs> excuse me, there's really only, there's really only two types of faith in the world, okay? Second, he reveals that there's, Two real distinct messages in the world today. There's Jesus' way, which his kingdom priests promote. And then there's man's way. Every other religion in the world, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, uh, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Just pick one. They all get to their heaven or wherever that nirvana is through what? Effort, human effort. Christianity, biblical Christianity, is the only religion that teaches that God does it for us. He did it for us on the cross. And so 
Paul takes that message and like he always does, he always sets up a choice when he goes to these cities. You can choose to do it this way or you can come listen to God's way. So two types of faith, two distinct messages, and finally, two sources of power. God, and what's the other source for supernatural power? God and who? Satan. Satan. That's it. You have no power. I mean, you have no power. You, you can do some stuff in the physical, but you have no supernatural power. You get that supernatural power from one or two places, Satan or God. And that comes out in the text. So we're going to go through this and work through it and um, look at two types of faith, two types of or two distinct messages and the two sources of power here, starting in verse one. And it says, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. The inland country is the highland country. So I want you to picture Israel. Paul is starting up in the Tarsus, which is north of there, and he's going to go, or Antioch, I mean, and he's going to go through the mountains of Galatia, the same route he went on the first missionary journey where he went through Lystra, Derby, remember those cities, Iconium. He goes through there to Ephesus. And it says, there he found some disciples. So again, what does the term found imply? He was looking for them. He was looking for them. So, and, and Luke uses the term disciple interchangeably with believers. So these were professing believers, but they weren't believers. They were disciples. And so it says he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Think about it. When you, when you, have you ever met somebody that says they're a Christian and you're just engaging with them in conversation and, and you just kind of feeling like this guy doesn't come across as no Christian to me. I, I meet a lot of people like that. I met some people last week like that. They would, they would absolutely tell you they're Christian. Why? Because they grew up in America. Everybody's a Christian. Everybody, well, at least in their time period, or a lot of them, you know, everybody goes to church, at least on Easter and Christmas. But there's just something not right. What I like to do is ask people, hey, how'd you, how'd you come to faith in Jesus? I like to hear them share the story. You can get indicators in their stories they're sharing it if they're telling you well i did this and i did that and you know i went here and i went there if it's all about what i did you can almost rest assured they're not a believer almost because it's all about what their efforts were but if they say well you know i was doing this and god got a hold of me man he brought this into my life and then i didn't even know how i don't deserve it you know you can hear the contrast between spirit-filled people and people who don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not a believer. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So Paul basically was experiencing with them a lack of the Holy Spirit. So he goes, he says, hey, he goes, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit? In other words, did you hear the correct gospel? 
Now, I will tell you, because I grew up in a Pentecostal, well, not a Pentecostal home. My grandmother was Pentecostal, so my dad was raised in that. I've been all around a lot of Pentecostals and Charismatics. And there is some faulty teaching within those circles that says that you can be a believer and not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's not true. You can't be a true believer in Jesus Christ without having the Holy Spirit. Plain and simple. When you're a believer, the Spirit indwells you. And and so that's just faulty teaching. They make a distinction between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and a full impartation of the Holy Spirit. And they say, and I've been taught this, that, uh, well, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not saved. That's not true. That's just not true. That's just bad teaching. That started about the 1900s when the Pentecostal movement started. And so 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that we are all baptized in one spirit. We're baptized in one. Acts is a very transitional book. And what you got to do is realize that it's not the norm. You see things in Acts that we don't do, but God did them there. Uh, any of you guys taking a Nazarite vow lately? Not cut your hair and then you cut it and go offer it on a temple somewhere? No, Paul did that there. Why don't we do that? You see, you can't pick and choose. You've got to understand context and history and the way the Bible flows. This Acts was a transitional retelling from Luke to a guy named Theophilus of what happened. And so he relays what was going on here. And so they said, listen, we, we hadn't even heard about the Holy Spirit. Uh, they said, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Now listen, they were followers of John the Baptist. They had heard of the Holy Spirit. What they were saying is, we haven't heard that you can be permanently indwelled with the Spirit. Because nobody ever had prior to after Pentecost. And evidently, they were in Ephesus and they didn't know. Why would they have gone to Jerusalem and, and maybe heard about John the Baptist and maybe got baptized by John the Baptist? Well, why did they have to go to Jerusalem every year? Three times a year they had to go to the feast. And so they went there, they hear John the Baptist saying, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming. Repent, you've been rebellious. You need to repent and be baptized. So they go and they get baptized. Say, we don't want to be rebellious. We want to be followers of God. But they go back and they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. And so what happened? John, by the way, baptized with a spirit of repentance. And basically what Paul was saying, you guys have some of the info, but you're not fully there yet. You're still in the womb. You haven't busted out of the womb yet. Now, there's a lot of people that think they're Christian because of a high moral code, maybe. Uh, but they have an incomplete knowledge of God. They don't know him. He doesn't know them. Uh, they, they know about him, but they don't know him. 
Matthew 11, there were guys that followed John the Baptist. Listen, Matthew 11, 1 through 3. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said, Hey, are you the one to come? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Does that sound like guys who believe that Jesus was the one there? They wouldn't be saying, hey, are you the one or we should be looking for somebody else? So there were followers of John the Baptist that had not embraced Jesus as Messiah. Romans 8, 9 says, you, however, Paul says to them, are not in the flesh. You're but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit does not belong to him. So if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you're not, you don't. And so Paul recognized that these men, even though they had been baptized by John the Baptist in a spirit of repentance, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so remember 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul uh, says, such were some of you. You know, these people shall not inherit the kingdom. Such were some of you. He goes on to say later in that, do you not know that your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. In other words, your body houses the temple. This is the way it worked in the Old Testament. You went to the temple to see God. In the New Testament, we go and take God to the world indwelled in us. We are the temple. And so, what, what had to happen? Uh, well, let me go back to a couple of verses real quick. Ezekiel 36, listen to what God says through his prophet. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. Does that imply anything that we have to do? No, he does it. I will remove the stone, the uh, heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God does it. And that's what he's trying to say here is he does the work. Remember in John 14, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He also says in verse 16 of that chapter, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper who will be with you forever. That's the Holy Spirit. And so he's talking about the spirit indwelling there. Guys, you can do Christian things and not be a true believer. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? Many of you are going to say, Lord, Lord, I cast out demons. I did all these things. And he says, depart. What? I never knew you. I never knew you. And, and I find it fascinating, guys, that what did Paul do when they, they said, we hadn't even heard about the Holy Spirit. When I was growing up, there were people that were trying to teach me how to speak in tongues. They were telling me I needed the Holy Spirit. And they spent all their time trying to teach me about the Holy Spirit. They took me to all these verses about the Holy Spirit. Well, if you look at what Paul does here, they said, we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. Does Paul talk to them about the Holy Spirit? No, what does he do? It says, it says, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. 
telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. Paul taught him about Jesus. He didn't teach him about the Holy Spirit. And that's why people in these movements get so worked up about teaching about the Holy Spirit. They need to be teaching about Jesus. If you get people to have Jesus, they're going to have the Holy Spirit. The focus is wrong. And it's bad doctrine. And doctrine's important. And a lot of times people are just okay with it. Well, you know, I don't want to say anything to them because they mean well. No. If it's wrong, hey, is there any bad doctrine that glorifies God? No. So you can't just be okay with people teaching bad doctrine. And so Paul says he teaches them about Jesus and he baptizes them in the name of Jesus. Why? Because real faith is the only condition necessary for receiving the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit was tied into baptism. What I find interesting is Apollos didn't get rebaptized. Do you know that? Apollos did not get rebaptized because the Spirit was in Apollos. You go, well, wait a minute. It said he only knew the teaching of John 2, but it also says he was full of the Spirit. He, he had the fervent Spirit in him. And, and so the Spirit was tied to baptism, and maybe that happened at his baptism, but These men needed to be baptized because they were never baptized as a believer. And so they got baptized. Verse 6, what happened? And when Paul laid his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on him. Why did Paul lay his hands on him? That was very symbolic of the authority of an apostle saying, these guys are the real deal. And what happened? They began to speak in tongues and prophesy. Wait a minute. That's happened before. Happened where? Back at Pentecost. Wait, you mean these Ephesian guys are just like they have the same spirit? Yes. Where else did it happen? In Acts chapter 8 in Samaria. Where else did it happen? Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the first Gentile. And now it happens here. You mean there's just specific times that God poured out His Spirit in a way that brought tongues like that? Yes. It's not normative. It's not a normative thing. It was to validate that these people here, that Cornelius, that the Samaritans, experienced the same thing the apostles experienced in Jerusalem. And so, in Acts, they were all Jews. Uh, Acts 2. Acts 8. They were half Jews. And like I said, Acts 10, it was Gentile, the first Gentile. And now in Acts 19, it's the ends of the earth. Remember that from Acts 1.8? And so, and by the way, the tongues here is a known language. It's not some gibberish that somebody tries to teach you to say, which people try to do to me. And notice verse 7. There were about 12 men in all. Can you guys think of another guy that had 12 guys that he built into? Do you realize what's happening here with Paul? Paul had been doing this itinerant ministry, but now he's going deep with these 12. And do you know these 12 men will be the men who actually take the gospel to Sardis, to Laodicea? All those churches that we read about in Revelation come from these 12 men. Isn't that amazing? And so he builds into them. And 
12 followers didn't have the Holy Spirit because they didn't know Jesus. So what is Paul uh, really saying here? Or what is Luke kind of bringing out about Paul? That there's two types of faith. Faith in Jesus, faith in anything else. Even if it's John the Baptist, repentance. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how close it is if it's not Jesus. And that's what he brings out. Well, what about verse 8? Well, he also shows two distinct messages. Look, look at what it says um, in verse 8. It says, And he entered the synagogue. Why? Because he did that. That's what Paul did. Because Christianity is true Judaism. If Abraham was here today, he'd be a Christian. If David was here today, he'd be a Christian. They wouldn't be doing sacrifices. He would be walking as a follower of Jesus Christ. Samuel, all of them. Those people would be walking with Jesus because Christianity is true Judaism. And so he goes in and for three months it says he spoke boldly. You know, the uh, church at Ephesus was much more uh, gracious than the church at Thessalonica. Thessalonica gave him three weeks. Here he gets three months. But finally, after three months, they'd had enough. Verse 9, some became stubborn and they continued in unbelief. Do, do you guys know people that hear the gospel and they kind of harden up? Ever has shared it with anybody and seen them harden up? I have. And notice what happens. First, they just get stubborn. They don't want to hear it. But then it says they speak evil of the way. They start maligning it. That's stupid. That's ridiculous to believe that. And that's what they do. And then it says he withdrew from them. He took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. What is that, Tyrannus? Well, Paul went to the hall of Tyrannus. Tyrannus Hall was a place where this guy named Tyrannus would teach philosophy. And so he would teach in the morning, and from 11 to 4, because there's other documents that show this, from 11 to 4, guess what people did in Ephesus? Yeah. It's just like Mexico, man. They take a siesta every day, right, Hugo? Yep. From 11 to 4. And so Paul says, hey, I want this time there to teach about Jesus. And so what he does is what he always does. He sets up a choice. You can hear about philosophy from this guy, Tyrannus, or you can hear about Jesus. You can go to the synagogue and you can hear about Judaism based on the law, or you can come hear about the true Judaism that's based on grace. And so he sets up a choice and he does that. And it says for two years, notice what it says in verse 10. For two years he did this so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. Do you guys realize how many chapters are written about the church at Ephesus in this book, in Acts, the letter? Three whole chapters. It's the most written about church here. It is replacing Antioch now as the sending church to the rest of the world. It's basically... Chapter 18 is about the beginning. Chapter 19 is about the influence and the impact. In chapter 20, Paul leaves a message with the elders and gives them final instructions before he goes. But Paul ended up, it was so important, this church in, in Ephesus, that Paul left Timothy, his chief protege, in charge of it. And he wrote First and Second Timothy about dealing with the church in Ephesus. 
Did you know 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, written by the Apostle John, was written to the church in Ephesus as well? So you've got that, and then you've got the letter to the Ephesians. Paul wrote the church himself. So all these things are, are going to this church. Why? Because it was such a strategic, important church. And you know who else the tradition says that the Apostle John died there? And if he died there, you know who would have been with him until she died? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Do you think this wasn't an important church? It was a very important church. And Paul's laying out there, there's two distinct messages. There's Jesus' way, which is the word of the Lord, or there's the human way. That's it. Those are the two choices you have. You can follow Jesus' way or you can go your way. The truth is, today, most people go their way. They go sit in a church, but they do what they want to do. We're like a, a constitutional monarchy. You know, we can take our, our uh, law up to the queen, but if she doesn't sign it, we don't care. We're going to do what we want to do anyway. And, and Paul says, no, there's two ways. You do it Jesus' way or you do it your way. Verse 11 takes us into the sources of power. God or Satan. That's the bottom line. There is no supernatural power apart from any of those two people. God has given Satan temporary uh, you know, abilities on the earth, but it's always under God's uh, control. And Satan has to ask. Remember Job? He had to ask to do those things to Job. So verse 11 says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Why? Three times in the Bible, there's three time periods where God does miracles. One, when the law is given. And he did them through who? Who did the miracles in Egypt? Moses. Moses and who? Do you know Joshua did miracles after that? Moses and Joshua. Joshua did miracles too. He actually split the Jordan so they could go across it. So Moses and Joshua. Um, you ever wonder why Isaiah didn't do any miracles? Samuel? They, 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 they didn't do them because God used the miracles to affirm the word was from him. But, you know, who, uh, and so God gives the law and he confirms it with these miracles. And what did people do with the law? They rejected it. They did what they wanted to do. But then God uh, did miracles through Elijah and Elisha. Why? Because he was affirming the prophets, giving the word of the Lord. And people rejected that. And finally, he did it to Christ through Christ and his apostles. And Paul was the last apostle. Even Paul, at the end of his life, Paul didn't heal. He said, I left Trophimus sick. If Paul could heal people at will, why wouldn't he heal his friend Trophimus? Why would he tell Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach, Timothy, for your illness? Why wouldn't he just go, I lay my hands on you? See, this stuff about people just arbitrarily laying their hands on people... These signs were, it wasn't to just heal people. It was to affirm the word of God. In fact, look at Mark 16 real quick. Mark 16, 20. Listen to what God's word says. And they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. It was to confirm the word of the Lord. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 says the same thing. And now what's so important about this is that 
Ephesus was known for magic. It had a reputation for that. Speaking the names of deities or, or, or incantations, using magical books and writings. And they were known for that. So what happens is people were using Paul's handkerchiefs. It's really a sweat rag. It's a do-rag is what it was. Paul was working in the tents, making the tents or the leather, whatever. He'd get sweaty. Somebody said, man, this Paul guy is connected to the one true God. They take it. And, and they go and touch somebody, and God heals somebody through that. Why? To say, this is my guy. This is my guy. He's speaking the truth. And so these, these guys who were professional exorcists, they claimed to be the son of a high priest. They weren't. They just claimed that. These seven sons of Sceva, they were itinerant. So Satan obviously had given them some measure of success so that he could counterfeit that maybe these people had power. And so they go up, they say, man, we need what Paul has. Hey, has there been people who've tried to use the name of Jesus to make money? Yeah, that's what they're doing. And so listen to what it says. It says, by the way, this is the only time that the word exorcist is mentioned in the New Testament here. It's the only time. In fact, there is no need, I will say this again, you can't exercise a demon out of a body. You can't. There's one person that can get the demon out, and that's God, period. Amen. You know what brings a demon out of a body? When a person repents and confesses their sin and trusts in Jesus. That's it. Amen. Without that, now, Satan can counterfeit and cast demons out, but if Jesus isn't in there, what does it say in the Scriptures? Remember what Jesus said? This spirit will leave. How many more are going to come back? Seven are going to come back. Why? Because it's still empty. But if Jesus is there, you can't be possessed by a demon. The spirit will not allow it. Now, you can be oppressed by a demon, but you're not going to be possessed unless you're an unbeliever. And so... They took the handkerchief, went there, and these exorcists tried to cast out demons using Yahweh's name. The, the word exorcist literally means one who invokes the name of a god or sacred formula. And they're always worse. Remember, Peter had Simon over in Samaria, and then Paul and Barnabas had Elymas, and now Paul and Silas have this guy, these guys. And wherever you see the truth of God going out, you're going to have Satan coming in trying to stir up trouble. And notice what they say. Hey, we adjure you in the name of Jesus that Paul proclaims. In other words, they didn't know him. They were just trying to use his name. How'd that work out for him, by the way? Not very good. It says, the de first of all, the, did you know demons can speak? They can manipulate through the human host that they have. And, and they did. They said, hey, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize, it's a different word. Jesus, the word means to know really well. Paul, it means, hey, wouldn't it be great to be recognized by the demons as somebody that represented the Most High God? And they said, Paul, I recognize. And then they say this, who are you, puny man? Who are you? You're going to try to do this, really? And it says, the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so they fled out of the house naked and wounded you know why they were naked they wore magical clothing and magical amulets and all this stuff and and, and god allowed them to be 
basically bared naked to say there's no power in that. And the people saw it, verse uh, 18. Uh, actually, go back 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord was extolled or magnified. Why? Well, because, because God showed up. And he showed that the ultimate source of power is not, it's not Satan. It's God. And he shows that. And so um, Deuteronomy 18.10 says, listen, no sorcery, no witchcraft, no necromancy, none of that stuff. You don't consult with the dead. Guys, I've known Christian people who've, uh, who've done Ouija boards and all that stuff. They read their horoscopes. None of that stuff you should be messing with as a believer because you open a portal for the enemy to come in and that he can oppress you. You can be taken captive, but you can't be possessed if you're a true believer. But you don't want to be messing with that. God says, no, don't do that. And so it says the believers confessed. It says they divulged their practices, which meant they revealed their secrets and their magic lost their power. Then they burned the books Verse 19, so no one else would be influenced by him. And then verse 20, this is the key to all of this. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail. Men who only wanted to imitate Jesus without knowing him will always fail and be humiliated. Hey, quick question. Have we tried our own means of religion our own means of philosophy, our own means of morals apart from God? Yes. You ever heard people say, I don't need God. I don't need the Bible. I'll define my own truth. Do we live in a time like that right now? People look to science, psychology, wealth, power, education, technology to try to redefine truth or who or what God is. There's only one way, guys. It's Jesus, period. Amen. So as we close today... Let me just ask you this question. Do you know him? Do you not know about him? Do you really know him? Are you walking in his authority? Where the word of God dominates, guys. Where his word dominates, there's victory. You remember when the disciples, I'll tell you this real quick. Remember when the disciples were trying to cast out the demon and they couldn't? And he said, this kind comes out how? Prayer and fasting. Well, really, it's just prayer. Fasting was added, but it's prayer. Fasting is an intense prayer. Fasting is not a a formula. It's an intense prayer. And so what is Jesus saying to them? Remember what happened? That happened on the heels of them going out, casting out demons. They thought they could do that without Jesus. That's what these guys thought. You can't invoke the power of God unless he gives you the authority to do it. And he does give us authority to go represent him. And he will provide everything you need to do everything he wants you to do. But if you're trying to do something he doesn't want you to do, you better watch out. If you, especially if you invoke his name. And how do, we, how do we prevent that? We get saturated with the word. You spend time in the word. You, the more you spend time here, the more you're going to know him. The more you know him, the more you're going to abide in him and walk with him. And you'll know 
Okay, Doug, I don't want you going this way. Okay, God, that's good. Well, what about this over here, God? Yeah, I'm okay with that. Okay, <laughs> I'll go over here then. And then you, it, sometimes you think he's saying this is okay, and you want to obey him, and he goes, no, that's not where I want you. I want you over here. He, it's about the heart. It's not about our actions. It's about the heart. And so be saturated in the word. All right, Jim, will you close our time with prayer? Jim Norman. Father, thank you so much for your word today, and um, may your uh, spirit come into our hearts and soften our hearts. uh, Let us always keep you at the center of our lives. Um, In the word today, uh, in scripture, um, I think one of the things that stands out for me is uh, uh, Paul and, and the gift he was given of, of healing. Oftentimes we, when we speak to people, uh, people acknowledge the, the miracles that were done by Jesus and maybe others, but to know that in order for the word to spread throughout uh, the world as, as the Lord intended, uh, he gave that power or that gift to Paul in certain instances and it, it changed the whole uh, city in this case of Ephesus so um, give us the strength to not necessarily do miracles to that extent but to be your servants to be disciples so that we can change uh, and help help um, your word and your spirit get get to others who you've selected and chosen uh, to become to become followers of, of you in Jesus name we ask this amen Amen. 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 Yes, sir.